Well, I wonder if anyone has ever said to you, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. I'm sure someone has said that to you before. Probably your mum at some point. Actions speak louder than words. It's a common phrase, isn't it? And that's because in general, it's true. We experience it, don't we, when uh, there's a politician who who goes on and on about the incredibly high standards of the the local state schools, uh, only to then send their children off to a private school a long way away. Or when an Apple executive tells you how life-changing the new iPhone is going to be, but then you discover that uh, they wouldn't let their children go anywhere near the technology that they're producing. Uh, It happens uh, when a husband uh, repeatedly says how much they love and cherish their wife, uh, only to discover that they've been maintaining a long-standing affair. Actions speak louder than words. And so it's often our behavior, not our words, that show what we really believe. And that's true in our passage this evening. James says that is true in the Christian life. That's the point of his big question there at the start in verse 14. Uh, Just look there with me. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In other words, it's easy to speak, it's easy to claim to have faith, to, to say that you believe in Jesus. But does simply saying you believe something mean that it's real, genuine belief. The kind of belief, the kind of faith that saves. And the answer James gives in our passage this evening is no. No, he says, simply saying that you believe something isn't actually enough. In fact, it could be a sign that that your faith is not real. Faith without actions, James says, is dead faith. It's useless. It's fake. And so we've got a serious question to think about this evening, don't we? A serious question, and that is, how do I know my faith is real? How do I know whether I have genuine, saving faith, and not just dead, fake faith? James helps us to answer that question by showing us the difference between fake faith and real faith. And so the first thing that we're going to think about is that fake faith stops at speaking. Fake faith stops at speaking. Look at verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? James begins by describing what is a a likely situation for his original readers. A church member who is in physical need. You can see this person so poor that they lack the basic necessities of food and clothing. And so these aren't hidden needs. No, they would have been obvious for everybody in the church to see. It's a likely situation that his readers would come across. And so he says, well, if you see someone like that in your church family, walk through the doors on Sunday morning, and you simply say to them, go in peace. Do stay warm. I hope you've got enough to eat this week. 
If you say those things but then don't actually do anything for them, well, what good is that? If a person is in desperate need, if they're starving hungry and freezing cold, then what good are words? Words by themselves don't help, do they? No matter how nice, how encouraging and well-meaning those words might be, they're useless to that person, says James. And so he says in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. If all that you have is words, if you simply say you believe and trust in Jesus, but your life is no different from the world around you, well, then James says your faith is no good. It's meaningless. As meaningless as those empty words to the person in need. It's dead. That's the big thing he wants to say. When it comes to faith, words are not enough. But there's a specific challenge there as well for us, isn't there? Because whilst this hypothetical situation of a poor person in the church, James uses to make his point, We've seen already that caring for the poor and needy is something that James wants to speak a lot about in this letter. We saw a few weeks ago, didn't we, that true religion, true faith, actively cares for people in need. That includes people's relational needs as well as their physical needs. And so James says, if you take the time to look for it, well, you'll see there are always people that need your love and care. But fake faith, he says, well, fake faith sees that need. It, it has the ability, the means to help. But it's quite content to walk on by, offering a few encouraging words, but nothing more. You see, fake faith stops at speaking. But then in verse 18, someone objects. Verse 18, look there with me. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. This person says, no, no, James, you've misunderstood. You've got it it all wrong. You see, in the church, there are all sorts of people, all types of Christians, aren't there? You could say that there are some faith Christians, and then there are some deeds Christians. I like to think of myself as more of a a faith Christian. Um, I love uh, to focus on my relationship with the Lord. I love to read and, and to pray and to get to grips with a good bit of theology. That's my thing. James, James, I, I guess you must be one of those deeds Christians. One of those uh, Christians who loves nothing more than getting your hands dirty, uh, serving other people, looking after the needy. Good for you, James. I've got no idea how you do it. To which James says at the end of verse 18, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, James says faith, it can never be just a private thing. It can't be invisible. A faith that is content with just thinking and, and saying the right things is fake. Verse 20, it's useless. And then he hammers home the point in verse 19. He says, you believe that there's one God. Good. 
Even the demons believe that and shudder. If you think you can just be a a faith Christian, uh, someone who's content with knowing and believing all the right things, if you think that is enough, then James says, well, be careful. Be careful because you're in a dangerous position. Because you're no different, really, from the demons. You see, as you read through the Gospels, it's clear that the demons have got pretty good doctrine. They understand and believe who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God. They believe who he is, and even verse 19, they they shudder. They shudder because they recognize that they are on the wrong side of the Lord of all the earth. And so they're rightly terrified. And so James says, in that sense, even the demons display a, a more genuine, real belief than the person he's describing. More genuine because at least they, they respond, at least they act in some way on what they believe. And so James says, be careful. Be careful if you're someone who is tempted to congratulate yourself on having good doctrine. If you're someone who spends a lot of time reading and learning theology. If you're up to date with all the latest debates and you can tell your dispensationists from your covenantalists, be careful. Because simply knowing the right things, even professing, even saying the right things, is not enough. Because fake faith stops at speaking. Fake faith is all about saying the right things, but but never letting those things make any difference to the way that you live. And please don't don't get the wrong end of the stick here. Don't misunderstand what James is saying. Having good doctrine is vitally important. One of the reasons that we have started the bookstall at the back is so that we can be people who are reading and learning good doctrine, good theology. People who are growing in our understanding of who God is and what it means to be one of his people. Good doctrine is essential, but by itself, it is useless. And so we need to ask ourselves, does my faith stop at speaking? Uh, Do I talk a good game, but, but when it comes to it, fail to act? Does my doctrine lead to discipleship? It's an important question to ask because James says a faith that is just about speaking, a faith that is all words and no action, in the end is a dead faith. It's a faith that cannot save. Fake faith stops at speaking. And in order to make that even clearer, James moves on to the the positive uh, to show us what real faith looks like in contrast Which brings us to the second thing we're going to see this evening, which is real faith is seen in action. Real faith is seen in action. Uh, Look at verse 20 with me. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You you want more evidence? You you need more convincing of what I'm telling you? Well, he says, let's think about an example. Verse 21 How about Abraham? In the minds of James's readers, Abraham would have been the kind of top trump when it comes to faith. 
Uh, he was the man of faith. And so James says, well, what do we learn when we look at Abraham, the man of faith? Uh, verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. In order to understand the point James is making here, we've got to go back to two key events in Abraham's life. The first is in Genesis 12. That's the place where God first called Abraham and made a series of amazing promises to him. One of those promises was that Abraham would be the father of a great nation, that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. But it was a small problem. Abraham was around 100 years old and Sarah, his wife, was barren. Unable to have one child, let alone a whole nation. But regardless of these seemingly impossible obstacles, God restates his promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. And Abraham believes him. Just listen to what it says in Genesis 15. The word of the Lord came to him, that's Abraham. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham believed. He had faith in God's promise. And as a result, he was considered righteous. He was right with God. And then not long after, Isaac was born against all the odds. That's event one in Abraham's life. But the second event that James points to, it comes later on in Genesis 22. Having kept his promise and provided Abraham with a son, Isaac, we read this in Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, we're told at the start there, aren't we, that this was a test for Abraham. But Abraham doesn't know that. So what does he do? Verse, uh, Genesis 22 carries on. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Uh, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You see what's happening? Abraham didn't just say that he believed God. His faith didn't just stop with speaking. No, Abraham's faith was seen in action. 
So that even when God asked him to do the unthinkable, even when it went against all of his instincts as a father, he was willing to act on what he believed, willing to act on God's promise. And verse 22, his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. Faith is seen in action. What you do reveals what you believe. And what you truly believe shapes what you do. And understanding that connection, I think, helps us when we come to verse 24. Just look down at verse 24 with me. It says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Over the years, people have really struggled with that verse. Mainly because on first reading, James seems to be contradicting other parts of the Bible. In particular, the sort of things the Apostle Paul says about faith. This is what Paul says about faith in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Or in Romans 3, he says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So Paul is crystal clear, isn't he? We are saved by faith alone, not by our works. But here James seems to be saying the opposite. So what's going on? What's going on is that James and Paul are talking about two different things. Think about it like this. If you went out into Chessington or Kingston or somewhere on on the street and asked someone how they think somebody gets to heaven, they'll probably tell you that you get there by doing enough good things. That might just involve being a good person, making ethical choices, looking out for others in need. It might also mean uh, doing certain religious things, uh, praying a certain way, going to mass, uh, not eating certain foods. Either way, most people would probably say it's all about what you do. What you do is how you get to heaven. But that just isn't the Bible's answer to that question, is it? The Bible's answer is that you don't have to do anything in order to be saved. That's the point that Paul is making in Ephesians and Romans. He says you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You are saved by faith in Christ alone. It is we put our faith in Jesus and what he has done, not what we try and do, that we are saved that we're justified, that we're made right with God. That is how we are saved. And as simple as that might be for for some of us, that is something that we all need to be reminded of every single day. Because there's a danger, isn't there, as we look at this passage this evening, as we carry on through the letter of James, that all we hear is that we need to go away and just try harder. Just do more. Just be better. We need to do those things, and if we do, then then somehow we will make ourselves acceptable to God. But as we've seen in John 13, in 
our morning services, the only way that we can be acceptable to God, the only way we can have any part with God, is if we are made clean by Jesus. If we trust in his death on the cross for us, his death that washes us completely and makes us right with God. We are daily dependent on what Christ has done for us at the cross. That is how we are saved. But that isn't the question that James is answering. He is answering the question of how you can tell whether someone has that kind of saving faith. How you can tell if somebody really does know Christ's love in that way. If they really have put their faith in him. And his big point in this chapter is that you can see it. Look at verse 24 again. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. How do you tell whether someone is right with God? What is the evidence that they have true saving faith, that they know Christ's love and have been cleansed by him? Well, James says it can't simply be by what they say. Because anybody can say that they believe in Jesus. No, the evidence is in what they do. It's seen in the way their faith moves them to obey God. It's in what Paul describes as the obedience that comes from faith. And so the way that people often pull this together is to say that Paul shows us that we are saved by faith alone. But James wants us to see that saving faith never remains alone. It's always seen in what we do. Real faith, he says, is seen in action. Just look at the patriarch, Abraham. Look at the patriarch and then look at the prostitute, Rahab, verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. If you're with us for our series in Joshua last term, you might remember Joshua chapter 2 and the, and the Israelite spies hiding in the house of a pagan prostitute called Rahab. And the point James is making by pointing to her is that when those spies came to Rahab, she didn't just say to them, yes, I believe in your God, the God of Israel. No, she acted at great risk to her own life, she chose to hide the spies in her home. Her faith was seen in what she did. It was seen to be real, seen to be genuine, saving faith. Not, verse 26, deedless, dead faith. So how do you know your faith is real? How do you know whether you have genuine, saving faith? As we close, I want to tell you about William Borden. William Borden was born in 1887 to a very wealthy American family. After he'd grown up a bit, he went off to study at Yale University. And so he was rich, he was intelligent, and that meant he had a privileged life laid out ahead of him. But he gave all that up. William gave all of that up to be a missionary to Muslim people. He gave away huge amounts of money 
and then he moved to Egypt. Four months after his move, he became very ill, and he died at the age of 25. If you go to Cairo today, you can find his grave. You can read on it his name and when he died and a short description of his life. And the description finishes with these words. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. And so the question to ask ourselves this evening is this. How would someone explain my life? If they watched me, if they watched the way that I lived, the the things I said and did, would the only possible explanation be that I know and love and have faith in the Lord Jesus? In many ways, this is just what we heard Jesus say in John's gospel this morning, isn't it? What did he say? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so if you know Christ's love, if you've trusted in the one who loves you even when you are his enemy, if you've put your faith in him, well then Jesus and James say, your life will not stay the same. If you know Christ's love, then your faith will never be something that just stays in your head. Christ's love will never be just theoretical to you. Instead, James says, it will transform you. It'll change you so that day by day, you grow to be more like Jesus. Day by day, you learn more of what it means to love and serve others, just as he has loved and served you. What kind of faith do you have? Is it a faith that just stops with speaking? Or can it be seen in action? Can it be seen in the way that you love and obey Jesus and so love and serve others? Let's pray that we would have a real living faith. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you so much this evening for the Lord Jesus. We thank and praise you that he has loved and served us before we could do anything for him, anything to earn his love. Father, please, Help us to have our faith and trust in him alone and what he has done for us. But Father, would that faith be a true living faith that moves us to action, that by your spirit we would live more like our saviour each and every day. Not to earn his love, but because he has first loved us. We pray it for his name's sake. Amen.